You know, I wanted to, you know, have something on the first Sunday of the new year that would be a blessing to you and a help to you. And as we look at, um, you know, our, our lives, and we can't do anything about yesterday, as I said earlier. Yesterday's gone. It's a memory. And, and it's either a good memory or a bad memory or a little bit of both or a lot of both. Maybe one more than the other. I don't know where you're at. But I do know that every day with Jesus is a new day. Every day with him, when we get up every morning, the word of God tells us that his tender mercies are new every single day. And so it doesn't matter really what you have failed at in the past year. It does not matter what you've succeeded in. That all things become new today. And I thank God for that. You know, I'm a, a, I always had a, a big belief in having optimism for a new year. Of uh, just as the old year ends, it, you know, I've had some really good years, and it's like, oh God, I pray it'll be good next year too. You know, we don't know what's in tomorrow and our tomorrow, but I can tell you something I heard so long ago that is so comforting to me and encouraging, is that you don't have to worry about what's in tomorrow because God is already there waiting for you. That He's already in our tomorrow. That He's the ever-present living God. He is there to help us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to walk with us through good times and walk with us through hard times, that he does not abandon us. He doesn't save us from the bad things, but he walks with us through it, and he gives us wisdom and knowledge on how to get through the hard times. And I'm just telling you today that, you know, we have a little bit to play in that uh, when we think about our tomorrows, because it's the seed <clears throat> that we sow today that we're going to reap tomorrow. We're going to reap a harvest of what we sow in the ground today. You know, if a farmer goes out and sows and he sows a bunch of weed seeds, he's going to get weeds instead of a harvest. He's not going to make any money because weeds are so common and they really don't do anybody really any good. In fact, I hate weeds. Don't you hate weeds? Have you ever noticed that, that a good lawn, a good grass, Jim knows about this, God bless him, uh, is, is that good grass has to be tended to. You don't have to tend to weeds. They just grow. Isn't that right? I mean, they just grow. It's like, I think I'm going to plant some weeds. No, you don't have to. They're, they're going to plant themselves. And, and so our lives are like that. We need to cultivate, develop within us holy habits that will change the course of our life long term. And, and sometimes we kick the can down the road. We say, well, I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to do that tomorrow. Do it today. And then do it again tomorrow. And then do it again the next day. And then do it again the next day. You know, you can't survive on developing a holy habit on, on Sunday. Well, I'm going to go to church. Well, that's a wonderful habit to start if you're not doing it. Because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the custom of some, but encourage one another. As you see the day of the Lord approaching, we need to develop and cultivate into our lives teaching our children and our grandchildren that it's important, that it's a priority to be in the house of God every time the door is open. Now, I'm just telling you, I don't think God looks at anybody as a part-time Christian. Oh, I'm a temp. I'm filling in for so-and-so. I'm here this week. They're going to come next week. No, no, no. You develop a habit that will affect the rest of your life. And there's different ways that we do that because we are creatures of habit, aren't we? Right? Have you ever noticed this? You know where 
Pastor and Donna sit every single Sunday right over there where my son-in-law usurped and my daughter usurped my place. And somebody left their stuff on my seat. I walked in and said, who's this stuff? Everybody knows that's my seat. What are they doing in my seat? I don't know who that is. And, and I, you know, I'm going to find out. No. My mother went into a church at Liberty Assembly of God many years ago, and she was kind of new there, and my mother's so sweet, you know, and she just comes in, and she's happy, and she sits down in a pew. And pretty soon, <clears throat> church is ready to start, and this big um, <clears throat> woman who grew up on a farm, she's muscular, she's in construction herself, redecorating business, and she came up, tapped my mother's shoulder, my mother looked up and said, oh, hi. She said, you're in my seat. I always sit there. And my sister sits up here and her with her husband. And my mom thought she was joking, so she laughed. She says, are you going to get up? And she got up. And she moved. She said, I couldn't believe she did that. I thought, well, if you get to know her, you could believe it. You know, that's kind of how she is. She's a bull in the china closet. She loved the Lord, though. But, you know, we're creatures of habit, creatures of where we sit. You know, there's people I could just point out to you. Nick and Jill are always right there. And, and if they're having a little tiff, Jill is down a seat, and he's, no, just. <laughs> so Mike is always right up here with the youth, some of the youth, and God bless you guys. Uh, you know, we just, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? Tony and Lisa are always right back there. I can usually judge, you know, if I look out and I think, and I see somebody sitting in a different place, what is wrong with you? You're throwing me off my game here. That everything is not even in the universe now. You know, we got to get things back into shape. But we're creatures of habit, and the habits that you develop, develop you. They make you who you are. You know, uh, holy habits will change your life for good forever, for eternity. Habits that will help you start every single day right, when you do it right. Habits that will enable you to stop worrying being anxious about things, habits that will cause you to stop being critical because there are some who have a critical spirit. Sometimes it's just wired into them the way they are. They're just, they see things and they think things aren't right. And they get a little critical. You know, habits that, uh, that will make you a blessing or they'll make you a curse. And I think as Christians, as believers, we want to be a blessing, don't we? You know, uh, you know, how do you change this? You know, Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, say let God, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Okay? Changing the way you think. Uh, Margaret Thatcher is quoted as saying this. She said her father used to tell her this, and Mahatma Gandhi quoted it in a little different way way, and I looked it up trying to find the originator of it, can't, but it says this, watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. What we think, we become, she says. And I say amen to that. That is so wise and so incredible. Whether she originated it or uh, her father took it from someone else and read it, it's a good thing. I, you know, today I'd like to talk to you about three habits that you can develop that will change your life. It'll change your life. And, and when your life changes, other people's lives are changed. They're touched by 
how you change, how you behave. And the first one is <clears throat> just so simple that everybody should know it. It's like, uh, you know, even a caveman can do it, right? Read through the Bible. How long has it been since you read through the Bible from cover to cover in a year or some people in a half a year? Some people read the New Testament twice a year and the Psalms and the Proverbs. It is important to your life and to your changing the way you think when you read the Bible. You get an incredible insight into what God thinks. You know, what do we listen, 24-7 news cycle tells us what to think. It, it causes us to react either either happy or sad, usually sad, usually mad. You know, riots and destruction and lawlessness make me angry because, you know, the lawless one is coming, the Antichrist. And it's the spirit of the Antichrist, active and alive in our nation, makes me angry. But read through the Bible and you get a perspective from God, from the Holy Spirit. You know, Psalms 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path because there's so many things going on in this world that bring darkness... And when there's darkness, we stumble in the darkness. When there's darkness, bad things happen. Evil is rising. But when the light of the Word is in our heart and our life, it will give us a lamp unto our feet that we will not stumble, that we will not follow the pathway of those who don't know God. If there ever was a time for Christians to stand out and be different, it is today. Our whole culture has shifted away from a biblical worldview. Our courts are changing to whatever opinions blow with the wind. And we need stability. We need to develop inside of us the stability that the Word of God brings to our life. It stabilizes us in an unstable environment. Your, lamp is a, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, out in the foyer, I put out there this morning some Bible reading schedules uh, from Navigators, and it's right out there on the bookshelf out there at the Resource Center. I encourage you to take some today if you don't have one, and you can catch up. You're only a day behind. But reading through the Bible gives you a big picture of the whole Word of God, because the God of Genesis, the God of creation, is the same God in Revelation. He's the same God all the way through. And one thing that is common throughout the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is the bloodline, the red line, the red thread that runs through from Genesis to Revelation is the blood of Christ, the blood of the innocent shed for the guilty, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation by faith and faith alone is the theme from Genesis to Revelation, not just the New Testament When the Word is integrated into our hearts, into our minds, faith rises. Courage takes hold because there's a lot of hearts that are failing them for fear, for what is coming upon the earth, coming upon our nation. We don't know what the end is going to be. What is the outcome going to be? You know, many bought into this thing that, well, if we get enough Republicans in there, then it's going to save. Or if we get enough Democrats in, it's going to save the country. No, no, no. My help cometh from the Lord. I look up to the hills whence cometh my help. See, it's important that we are good citizens and that we vote biblically what the Word says, those closest to it. But I can tell you that Republicans aren't going to save this country near Democrats or independents. 
Our help comes from the Lord. And the only hope this nation has and the world has is that God in his mercy will pour out his spirit anew and afresh. We need desperately a new outpour, a fresh outpouring from the Lord. We need faith because faith conquers fear. Faith gives courage and boldness to step out. When you have faith because you have the word of God inside of you, it gives you uh, an up on the enemy. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Well, that's a hard one. Paul, what are you talking about? But if you read about the life of the Apostle Paul, he could have had a lot of things to worry about. I don't know about you, but I don't like getting beat and locked up and beat and locked in stocks and stoned, left for dead. I don't like any of that stuff. I, I, I'm not glad it happened to Paul, but I don't want it to happen to me. How about you? You got a little self-preservation, a little selfishness in you that you don't want it to happen to you? I, I, I've been watching uh, over the last month a few uh, stories about the martyrs during the reign, the terror of the Nazis, as well as the Soviet bloc countries and the beatings that those who had faith in God endured and struggled with, the marks upon their bodies that were marks of Christ, of identifying with the suffering of Christ. And I think, oh, Lord, I don't know if I could go through that. But they did. And they lived, many of them, not all of them, some lived to tell about it that it's possible to, to, to be a martyr for Christ, to be a living martyr even. But he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, <coughs> excuse me, pray about everything. Pray about everything. I pray about, Lord, should I brush my teeth today? That's obvious. Please. Lord, should I take a shower? Please, just figure it out. That, that when you don't, you know, there's an odor in the room, and we know where it's coming from, right? Some things are obvious. Somebody said during the great faith movement, you know, during the charismatic days, you've got to pray about this, pray about this, and you've got to pray about everything that is nonsense, I mean, things that are just common things. Somebody says, do you pray when you're supposed to turn the water off in your bathtub? I mean, just turn it off, common sense. But pray about the things that are eating at your heart. Pray about lost souls that are, that, are, that are tugging at the heart of God. Pray about, Lord, what am I going to do to make a difference in winning somebody to Christ that is facing a Christless eternity in hell? Lord, what am I going to do to make a difference with someone who is struggling with addiction, struggling with their sexuality, who don't know right hand from their left as was in the days of Jonah in Nineveh. We need to make a difference. We are God's chosen people. Did you say, are you God's chosen people? We need to make a difference. And I'm not trying to hype you up to have a few uh, days or a few weeks of activity. But I'm telling you, we need to develop and cultivate a lifetime of good habits that are going to make a difference in our life, our family, but also in everyone else. And so we're praying about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. Faith and fear are opposites, as I said, and the Bible is the source of faith. Somebody says, I don't have enough faith, Pastor. I just need faith. Well, you know, we all struggle with that. Do you remember Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, be removed in the sea, and it'll go. Just a little bit of faith. I remember the 
the father who said about his son needing healed, and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. He's just being real. Some of these name it, claim it preachers would tell you, well, he didn't get what he wanted then. Well, read the rest of the story. He got what he wanted. You know, God already knew he was struggling. Jesus knew. He just wanted him to admit it. We need to admit to God, Lord, I struggle with this. But the Bible is the source of our faith. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You get faith by reading and studying and hearing the word of God. It's like taking your, your vitamin supplements every day. You know, you know, sometimes you wonder, is that really doing any good? Now, sometimes you read and read and you wonder, is that doing any good? But when you're in the midst of something and you need wisdom, suddenly, have you ever noticed how that all of a sudden wisdom comes up from within? By the Holy Spirit, it bubbles up a word that you have read. Maybe you haven't read it for two years, that word, but it's in there. It's in your heart. It's up here. And God just pulls it up when you need it the most. The Word of God to give you a light to your path when you're walking in darkness. You don't know which way to turn. Faith grows as we grow in our knowledge of the Word. And the Word, also, when it comes inside of us, what does it do? It cleanses our mind. And I'll tell you, some of us need our mind to be cleansed. There's so much filth in the world, moral filth, in the media, so many lies that are being propagated through television and movies and books and all kinds of uh, Internet stuff that it's just like you've... You ingest that, and you read that, and it's in there, and it's like, you know, why can't I have faith in God? It's because you need to get that stuff out of your mind, or you'll go out of your mind. Cleanse the mind. Wash it with the washing of the water of the Word. You say, I'm just not sure if God is real. Read the Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. See the pattern of God's love and His faithfulness throughout the Scriptures. The Word will cleanse your mind, the Word will change our minds, and the fruit of this changes our words and our behavior. Somebody said, you know, I've heard testimony before, is that, you know, I had a filthy, filthy mouth, and I just couldn't stop. Even though I got saved, I still had all those words in me. But I tell you, I've heard people who said that I started reading the Word and meditating on the Word, and it cleansed me, and it transformed me, and it changed my words. It changed my words. I don't know if this is important. My mother never had a filthy mouth, but she'd say a, a, a little bad word once in a while, even before she was a Christian. I mean, she had a... But uh, she used to, when she'd get mad at somebody, she'd call him a jassack because she wouldn't say the real word. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 says this. The apostle says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How do you be renewed in the spirit of your mind? You, you meditate, you read the word. And the word of God does its work. It's better than Tide, better than Clorox bleach. It'll change you. The whole idea here is to develop a pattern of behavior. Say pattern. It's a pattern of behavior that is revealed by making the Word of God and prayer a priority in each day. Making it a priority in each day. 
Reading the Word reminds us of the priority of the gospel. That when we read the Word, it, it helps us to realize that there are people out there who are dying and going to hell every day that we need to make a difference in. I love that I was in Menards last week before, well, uh, 20, uh, the 24th. And I was there a few hours before they closed because they had a sale on my <clears throat> favorite soda. And uh, so... I went in there to, to pick some up, and I actually bought the last five little packs of the six packs of them. And, and, uh, but when I walked in there, uh, there was a gentleman that I knew only by face. I think I remembered his name. It was Wayne. Uh, but I knew him on Facebook, and he's been at a few Christian events. He's been here, him and his wife, for special events. And when I walked in, he's walking out, and he says, well, hi, how are you? And I said, I'm doing great. And, and uh, you know, Merry Christmas. And he reached out to shake my hand, and he took my hand and squeezed it. And I have a little, flares up now and then, arthritis in my index finger and my hands. And he squeezed it, and I inadvertently said, ow, because he shook my hand hard. He's a real friendly guy. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, nothing. I, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize it. But I, I said, I, my arthritis has flared up in my finger, and that really hurt. And he said, well, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> and we're right in the end. People coming and going, and cashiers over there. And I said, go ahead. And he laid hands on me, began to pray in Jesus' name for God to heal and to restore. I love that. Don't you love that? I mean, that's living your faith. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said, for it's the power of God unto salvation. And so he shared with me a prayer, and we exchanged. I said, you're Wayne, right? And he said, yeah, and he introduced me to his wife. And, and uh, they go to a Presbyterian church up in Krivitz that is really on fire for God. I love the pastor and his wife there, incredible people of God. And so we had that. But, you know, it, it changes how you see things. It gives you faith to believe for things that are impossible, to hold on to the horns of the altar. Uh, it, it, it changes how you think about everything. It gives you an incredible view that is a Christian worldview that is so lacking today. We need the Word of God to keep us on a straight and balanced path to see things God sees, to hate the things God hates, to love the things God hates. We love what He loves, we hate what He hates. And that way you do it, you enjoy that. I, I remember a, a lady going through Bible study with my wife, inductive Bible study, and they were going through 1 Corinthians, and, and there was a, 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 a teaching that Paul has on sexuality. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about sex. And, and they talked about homosexuality, and she said, you know, I never knew that this said this, that this is a sin. I just didn't know that. And the question was, was, what are you going to do about what you know now? And, and her response, in essence, was, I'm going to change the way that I think. Because if God said it, it's true. And, and God didn't say hate people. I'm just telling you, he didn't say that. We're supposed to love those outside the faith, those who are trapped in lifestyles that they fell into because of sin, because of temptation. Paul said <clears throat> to the Corinthians, that some of you used to be just like that, but now you've been cleansed, you've been washed. You know, the opportunity for people to be cleansed and washed is an incredible thing. But integrating the Word of God into your heart changes how you think, how you see things. You can sit there, if you have integrated the Word of God in your heart and you have a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview that way because you see how God sees things, you can sit and watch some of the news, some of these 24-hour networks, and you can say, man, that is just packed full of lies. I, I'm just telling you the truth. 
It's like, that is so off. That is so crazy. How do they get that way? Because the further this nation in its culture gets away from the Word of God, gets away from Christianity, the worse it becomes. There are no boundaries, you see. Lawlessness takes over. You know, we need to develop that pattern of behavior that changes our life, the pattern of behavior that reminds us of the gospel, the pattern of behavior that will give us a Christian worldview, and our children need to be taught a Christian worldview. I don't know about if you're sending your children to uh, secular uh, schools, you better, you better uh, debrief them when they come home and find out what they're being taught, find out what's going on in the classroom. Because I can guarantee you that much of the schools, I don't know about around here, but much of the schools across the nation are teaching this false idea that you can't even know for sure if you're gay or straight. How do you know you're not gay? How do you know you're a boy or a girl? You know, it's so ridiculous. All you got to do is get alone in the bathroom and look in the mirror. I mean, it's science. It's science. And, and, and yet this is the insanity that ensues and envelops and controls a culture when we get away from God. Because anything goes and all things are going and so goes the nation into judgment. We need to get a biblical worldview about generosity. God's a generous God and if we want to develop the character of God in our life, you get that through looking at the Scriptures and seeing what kind of a God is. God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. But God is generous in giving us our needs. He supplies our needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And He gives us a lot of times our desires, the desires of our heart. The Word of God says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will grant you the desires of your heart. But you know, the thing is, when you delight yourself in, in God, your desires often change to His desires. It's like, I used to want this, but now that I'm in the presence of God, I just, I don't want that anymore. I don't care about that. I just care about what God cares about. He changes us from the inside out. I remember a story just kind of off the cuff, so you have to trust my memory. I still have all my faculty. Well, I have most of my faculties, okay. Uh, but I remember a story about J.D. Rockefeller. Now, if you don't know who J.D. Rockefeller was, he was an incredible multi, in today's times, he would be a multi-billionaire over and over. He'd be richer than Bill Gates. Okay? He'd probably, in his day, he was the richest man in the world. And yet he had ulcers, bleeding ulcers. He was a, a believer. He was, uh, for many, many years of his life, was a teacher at the adult Bible class at the Baptist church that he attended, and yet he had no peace. He had anxiety and fear and worry. Now, you think with all that money, he was worried he was going to lose it. So afraid. And you know what transformed and healed him? Is he started giving it away. If I'm going to lose it, I'm going to give it away. And he became the biggest philanthropist of his day. And he set the example for other multimillionaire and billionaires of the day to do the same. But he gave it away. And you know what happened? His worries left him. His, his physical health came back to him, and he lived, I think, I don't remember, 100 years or so, almost 100 years old. He was very old when he passed away. Because generosity is the character of God. 
And when we're generous, it relieves us of anxiety, of holding on to something that we should just give to God, trusting Him with it, putting God first. And it'll change your worldview from, I'm going to say it, pro-choice to pro-life. I'm going to tell you something. God is pro-life. Okay? And when life takes place at conception in the womb, that is a human being. And I'm telling you that there's some Christians who got it backwards because they are being defrauded and deceived by the world. And when you read the Word of God, you find out, oh, God is pro-life that he created that life in the womb. He formed that life in the womb with his own hands and has a purpose, an eternal purpose for that child to fulfill. And, and we, in this culture and other cultures, cut off that life, calling it what it is not, just a mass of cells, and it's really a human being. We need to change how we think by reading the Word of God and finding out what God thinks. Somebody say amen. And, and uh, you know, it brings stability. Ephesians 4.14 says that, you know, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the trickery of men. Mentioned the news cycle. Go watch some of that and you'll get a lot of deceit, lies trickery of men trying to get you to think like they do, which is not how God thinks. And they do this in cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. Deceitful plotting. I've never been a conspiracy theorist, but there's a lot of nonsense going on. A lot of lies taking place. And it's taken our country south, and we need to be intercessors for a resurrection of righteousness in this nation. Colossians 2.8 says, don't let anyone. He's not telling this, you don't let anyone. He's talking to you and he's talking to me. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that has come from where? Human thinking. There's a lot of human wisdom that is not God's wisdom. It's human thinking. It sounds good. It seems good. But the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. He says from human thinking, but he also says from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Spiritual powers. Demonic spirits are real. They're in the spiritual realm, and, and they, many, most of them are like ankle-biting demons who just come against you and try to kick you when you're down, lie to you, whisper things into your ear, try to, you know, there's something as a holy anointing from the Holy Spirit that sets people free where there's a demonic anointing, a false anointing, a spiritual anointing that lures people into a snare, into a spider's web. We need to guard ourselves from being taken captive by human thinking and human wisdom and the powers of the demonic spirits in hell. I just encourage you to read through the Bible as a family, as individuals, but as a family. Read the Word to your children. Make sure they have a devotional life that is sound and, and good and have family devotions together and prayer. 
not just at meals, but prayer, real prayer. And talk to your children and your grandchildren about your faith, about your testimony, how you got saved, what were the circumstances behind it. Share with them how your life was changed from that moment so that they can see that life is different because Christ has come into a person's life. And second point is, uh, second habit to develop is to begin each day with thanksgiving, to be thankful. You know why there's so much greediness and materialism? is because people are selfish and self-centered. They're ungrateful for anything they get. Uh, we live in a day that was, uh, I think would be unprecedented and just oh, horrible to think about where uh, there's, there's a group, a mob, multiple ones that are linking together, even groups that hate each other, but they're using each other because they're working for the same thing, for socialism, communism to take over our nation as a philosophy and, a, and an economy. It's insane. It didn't work anywhere else. You know why? Because they're unthankful for what is given to them. It's like a bequest that goes from one generation to another in America about giving someone a blessing, a stable structure of government, not perfect by any stretch, a stable set of judicial courts that bring law and order, not perfect, stability. And unthankful for it. An economy that's incredible. Brought incredible wealth. So again, what, you know, Paul says, don't worry about anything. He said, pray about everything. Thank him. Thank him for what he's done. Thank God for what he has done. Do we forget to thank God? I mean, at Christmas time, we get a lot of gifts and we give gifts and take gifts. Do you, did you remember to say thank you? You know, my wife was so uh, diligent about teaching our daughters to be thankful. When someone gives you a gift, you thank them. You, you, you are always thankful. Somebody offers you candy and you get candy, you say thank you. I see that in my office because I'm the candy man after church for a lot of the children and you know, I keep gummy worms and gummy bears. It's for children, not adults. Well, I let Nick read my candy jar. He likes candy. But they turn around and they say, thank you, Pastor Tim. And their parents have taught them well. We need to be thankful to God for all he's given to us. He's given us a lot more than a gummy worm. I thank God because I don't like them. It's <laughs> probably why I put them in there because I don't like them, I won't eat them. So. But when Paul talks about being thankful, thank God. You know, there's a, a, a little bit of a Greek interpretation there that Rick, Warren ta Rick Renner talks about. Is Paul teaches us that when we earnestly ask God to do something special for us, Anybody ever done that? We must match it with an earnest outpouring of thanksgiving. Although the request has just been made and the manifestation of his answering our prayer has not yet happened, it is appropriate to thank God for doing what we have requested. Thanking him in advance does what? It demonstrates faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. See? So we thank God each day for his blessings. We count our blessings, it re, counting our blessings reminds us of his faithfulness to us. And when we focus on our needs and what we want, we lose track of his promises of provision. We need to focus on his 
on Him and His provision. We need to remember that all the things that we've been blessed with, uh, with that, are taking, that we are taking for granted. I don't know about you, but it is so easy as a human being to take for granted the blessings of God. That we just expect them. They just, oh, they belong to us. And God has a, an obligation. We become entitled. And yet, we should thank God for the things that He has blessed us with and thank Him and not take His blessings for granted. Philippians 4, uh, 7 says, then if you do this, if you, you know, are thankful, uh, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And the word guard there from the Greek, it pictures soldiers who stood at the gates of a city to determine who was allowed inside and who was not. They were to guard the place and protect it from anybody who is coming in with ill intent for that culture. God help America to figure that out again. Forbidden access is that what they guard them, and they forbid the access. Usually there were two soldiers mightily armed, who stood at the main gate of a city, and it was their decision, they were empowered to make the decision to allow someone to have access to the city or to be turned away. And if these soldiers agreed to let a prisoner in, they stepped aside and they allowed them to enter into the gate. But if they deem a person a threat, they'd move in with arms up to guard the entry to the city. And so Paul uses that word here when he says, guard your hearts, the peace will. He's talking about when peace of God guards or keeps our mind, that peace acts as the soldiers who keep out harmful thoughts that will rob you of peace. They'll rob you of peace. Now, I'm going to close pretty quickly, so I'm going to ask uh, just a piano player to come back at the close. We're not going to have a full-blown altar today, but I will tell you this, is that uh, back when I was young, I had a terrible habit when I got reclaimed when I was 18 years old. And for three years, three and a half years, I, some of you heard this before, I had a three and a half or two and a half pack a day cigarette habit. Three years. And I was addicted, not only physically to the nicotine, but emotionally and mentally to the need to smoke. And you know what happened? And I didn't know much of the Word of God at that point, but I knew that this was not right. I need to get this. I need to get this out of my life. And I, I prayed. I was reading a book at the time, and it had a lot to do with what I'm talking about here is thanking God. Ask God to it in faith, and then thank Him for what He's done. To believe it's done. It's done. You're praying according to the will of God. God doesn't want me to be addicted to anything except the love of God. And I prayed. And I lived in an apartment with my sister. I was in my bedroom, and I had a pack of half pack of cigarettes up there and an ashtray. And, and I said, in Jesus' name, I'm done. Confession. Confess your faith. I don't care if you feel like it. Confess it anyway. In the name of Jesus, there's authority in his name. And I, and I went to sleep that night, and... Uh, the next morning, which I never did before, I never wanted a cigarette so bad in my entire life. You know why? Because there was an ankle-biting demon. When you make a decision for Christ, 
there's going to be demonic spirits are going to come after you to try to get you to turn back, to compromise. And that ankle-biting demon whispering in my ear, you've got to have it, you've got to have it, you've got to have it. Every fiber in my being ached for it. Ached. And kept saying, you can have just one, nobody will know. Then you can start all over again. And I got up out of bed, and that hanging just like screaming in my mind, all those things. I didn't know about spiritual warfare then. I got out of there, and I went into the bathroom, into the shower, turned the shower on. And I'm in there just screaming in my head. And all of a sudden, I just thought, no, no, no. I was louder. I will not. In the name of Jesus, I'm free. And you know what happened? Just like that. All the voices stopped. The screaming stopped, and there was perfect peace. And that's my story. I never touched one ever again. But you know what? For years, I dreamed about it because God healed me. And what I prayed for was healing in my body from the addiction. You know, but there was an emotional attachment that needed to be broken by the renewing of my mind so that I could think differently, to make a choice with the act of my will that I will not cross this line again. I will not listen to the lies of the devil. He wants me to be destroyed. God wants me to have life to the full. And I'm just saying here today, there's a young man who this morning talked to me and he said, it's my fourth day of not smoking marijuana. He made a commitment to Jesus. And, and I need prayer. I just need God to help me. Struggling. Can, can you folks, we're a family, can, can we pray for people that are struggling. You know, he had the courage and the humility to just say, I need help. And I'm just going to close today. You know, we need, to, we need to think differently. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. What does that mean? Guard your thoughts. Put the garrison of soldiers around your mind. Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite sayings or quotes is Adrian Rogers said, in the Old Testament, the word heart is used more than 800 times, but more than 200 times it deals with one's thought life, the heart. It deals with emotions and the wellsprings of life, those things that motivate and mold us into who we become. The Bible calls that the heart. I'm calling it, he says, the thoughts of life. Why is the thought of life, a thought, why is the thought life so important, he asks. Why did Solomon tell his son, above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life? He said, because the thought life controls the rest of your life. The rest of your life is controlled by your thought life. And he goes on to say that if you tell me what you think, I can tell you who you are and the life that you live. What you think is what you are. The thought life controls you. It controls you. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your thoughts, positive, negative, good or bad, control your attitudes. Your attitudes are the sum total of your thoughts. Your attitude leads to actions. 
So why not in the new year, why don't we start off cultivating, developing holy habits that will transform and change your life from the inside out and totally transform and change your future? Somebody say amen. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer today. And would you go ahead, Catherine, and just... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, as you're bowing your heads in prayer, for those who say, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to stand. I'm going to begin to develop holy habits. I'm going to begin to read the Word of God. I'm going to begin to be thankful instead of discontent and critical. And I'm going to begin to think on good things. Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts. That means you can do it on what is true, honorable, right, and pure, lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise.